you're doing all right. And um, I tell you, I really do enjoy our prayer time that we get to do and a lot of stuff going on in praying. I know a lot of things were mentioned, some things we don't get to uh, really elaborate on, but things we're praying about, praying for. Um, if you would, make sure you uh, pay attention to the announcements, the different things we got coming up. A lot of stuff there if you just look at that to be help be involved in. I do want to mention that this Sunday evening uh, during the evening service, and we started doing this last year during the month of December, is uh, we have uh, a special time of uh, Lord's Supper. And I just think, you know, it's a wonderful time of year to observe the Lord's Supper is during the time we celebrate the birth of Christ. And uh, we're going to do it kind of like we normally do with a few little things that are going to be different and about it. We'll still do the main part of what the Lord's Supper is. But I just encourage you to come. It's going to be kind of a little bit more of a personal time that we study about the coming of Christ and some things and, and doing actually a study of actually a, a fi- very famous Christmas hymn that we're going to do during that time too. So I encourage you, if you can, to come be a part of that. That's this Sunday night at 6 o'clock, if you can. All right, well, we'll be in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 uh, again tonight, Hebrews chapter 7. And we started last week in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, which means a lot of y'all been joking. I didn't have to study this whole week, you know, because I didn't finish my notes. Or okay, all right, good, all right, we'll keep going. But no, we. Uh, I, I enjoyed studying this last week, and we didn't get to finish, and I think it would be good to finish kind of what we were looking at going through um, in the book of Hebrews chapter number seven and uh, not going to take the time to go through everything that we obviously did last week or we wouldn't have time to go through what we're going to do this week. But in, in Hebrews chapter seven, we're going to see some things here in just a moment. But let's go to Lord a word of prayer and then we'll get into our study. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And Lord, we just thank you so much for being so great. Lord, as we're going to study how Jesus is greater, not just was greater, but is greater. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can get together. Lord, I know there's people in this room tonight that are tired. Lord, they have so many things probably on their minds, things that are maybe pulling on them, Lord, maybe physically, spiritually, emotionally. Lord, I pray you might just help tonight just in these, these few moments that we have before we break and go right back into our lives, into the world, into our jobs, our families. Lord, I pray you might just allow this time to be a good bit of a respite for us tonight. Um, Lord, thank you for the ones that are here. Be with those that couldn't be here. Lord, I definitely feel very blessed. Lord, I just thank you for how you've blessed me as a person. And Lord, just give us wisdom as we look at your word. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we started looking at in Hebrews chapter 7 last week. In verse number 1, it talks about uh, that verse that you know, People are joking when we spent 35 minutes just talking about the first verse there, uh, you know, but it talks about for this Melchizedek. And we said, looking at Melchizedek and what that is, is you can actually go back to Genesis chapter number 14 and uh, and looking at the idea of Abraham. Abraham went, Lot, his nephew, got captured, and uh, there were several kings going off to battle against each other. And Abraham comes in and, and actually comes and slaughters the kings, wins the victory on his way back. He's met by Melchizedek. Melchizedek, by the way, in studying that means king of righteousness. And we said Salem actually means peace. So Melchizedek is known as the king of righteousness and the king of, of, of peace. And when it talks about him, it says that he met Abraham and he blessed him. Said, What did he do when he saw Abraham? That the king of peace, the king of righteousness gave him two things. Gave him bread and gave him wine, which was a symbol of life or substance, but also joy. 
And we talked about how that's a wonderful example of us in our life as we go through life and our battles and we things that we face that when we come to Christ, who is the king of righteousness, is the king of peace, that he gives us these things. And as we'll look at Sunday night, when we look at the cup, we look at the bread, the symbol of what did Jesus say, this do in remembrance of me. And we looked at a lot of things there. And, and we started talking a little bit more about verses 5 through 10. It starts talking a lot about, about priest. And, and just as a reminder, this is not talking about the high priest. High priest is talking about in Scripture the guy that goes once a year into the Holy of Holies. But what uh, Paul, who I believe wrote Hebrews, is saying here in verses 5 down through verse 10 is that you had priests that you would go to. And these priests that you would go to were kind of like self-help counselors, people like that. You would go and say, hey, I'm struggling with this in my life. Hey, I'm struggling with pride. Hey, I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with something that you would go to like we would today. Somebody you would go to to get some help, someone to get some counseling. And what they would do is pray with them. They would sacrifice something, and they would send them on their way. And so that's what it was looking at there. And then we got to where we're really wanting to get to is in verses number 11 through 19. As we started studying this a little bit, there were some good things here. And I want to read verse number 11 to start off again, if you, if you like to follow along. 11 and 12 says this, If therefore perfection or completion were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now you're like, okay, great, what in the world does that mean? What it's saying here, Paul is saying that if living by the law, and if you don't know what I mean by the law, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Ten Commandments, everything, if you had to go by the customs that they had to obey and honor, if that was, is what would make you right, then why would Jesus come? If I could obey the Ten Commandments and that could make me in right standing with God, there's no reason why Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Even though the law is not a bad thing, but what it's saying is, is that you and I cannot gain right standing by the law. Now, we listen to that and we think, great, we're not sitting over here going, we wake up in the morning, okay, I'm not going to kill, I'm not going to have any false gods, I'm not going to commit adultery, I'm not going to do anything. But we do this instead. We get very religious about being religious. You know what I mean? We think in right standing with God, I better say my prayer when I eat the meal, and I better read my Bible in the morning, I better pray, I better go to church, I better do this, I better do that. All those things are good, right? None of those things are bad. But a lot of times, how often do we think, if I do this, 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 and this, I'll be in good standings with God? And, and that's really what Paul's attacking here in saying that, and, and even goes on to talk a little bit about this. If obeying the law made you in good standing with God, we wouldn't be singing hymns about Jesus. We'd be singing hymns about Moses because Moses, the father, the giver of the law in that. And so that's what he's trying to say. And then the quote I, I gave last week is by Philip Yancey. And like I said, I know I'm reviewing for a moment here out of his book. It's what's so amazing about grace is this. He says, if right standing with God could occur because of good bookkeeping, we'd be worshiping Moses and not Jesus. And he wouldn't have to send Jesus. And that's what it's saying in verses 11 and 12, okay? That's what he's trying to express here in that. Now, verse 12 is a very interesting verse, okay? Verse 12 sounds very crazy. Let me read it. For the priesthood being changed, there is made necessity a change also of the law. Okay, I don't really know a better way of, of kind of saying this. I'll just say it. 
This is not meant for any political thing at all. But let's just throw this out here. Um, do you see a little bit of a difference in policy and stuff between the Obama administration and the Trump administration? Yes. Now, this is not a political jab, okay, at all. Both of these are doing things differently, right? Why? Because somebody's at the top. And what that is expressing is this. Whoever is the top, when there's a top in your life, those things go to that. When you change what the top is in your life, things change. Like, for instance, if you decide, hey, I'm going to lose weight and get healthy, you have a new top. You're pushing the pepperoni pizza to the side, and you're eating salad, and you're working out, and you're drinking water, because why? There's a new top in your life. And so that's what you do. And like I said, I wasn't doing any kind of political thing. It's just the whole point is this. When there's a new head, things go differently. Policies are different. And what he's saying here, Paul is saying, when fulfilling the law, when being religious about being religious is the main focus of your life, you're going to act a certain way. But when Jesus and our love for Jesus is ahead, we're going to act a different way. Now, a lot of the actions may be the same, but our heart will be different, right? Our heart will be different in it. Some of our actions may be the same, but things will be different there. And, and, and it just kind of goes on here a little bit more talking about a few things. But it's kind of like in my mind in, in life, when I finally, and I battle this a lot, when I do what I do in my life out of a love for Jesus, and let me just say it like this, to give Jesus glory and honor, boy, it's a lot different than when I was doing it just because I didn't want God to be mad at me. Oh, let's do it like this, because I want God to bless me. You know what I mean? Like, well, I better tithe, I better give, I better hand out tracts, I better not miss church, I better be nice to my spouse, I better do this, I better teach this class, do whatever. If I'm doing all that to fulfill the law, to be in good standing with God, I'm going to act a certain way. My heart's going to be a certain way. But if I'm doing it because I love God and the glory of God, it's totally different. You know, and, and so that's the idea here. If you notice, it's all coming back to the heart of the matter. It's kind of like the verse, and I don't mean to jump here long because i got more stuff I'm going to look at tonight. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture is, Judge not. You ever hear that? Ju you ain't supposed to judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. Can I tell you what that is actually saying? Okay. That's saying this. We do not judge people's motives, but we do judge people's actions. Okay. We don't judge people's motives, but we do judge people's actions. Bible says what? Man looketh on the outward, God looketh on the heart. Okay. So that's the thing with that, is that when I can do things for God without a heart and love for God. Does that make sense? Now, I can also do things for God with a heart and love for God, and it's totally different because I have a head. I have a top. That's something I'm going to. It's kind of like, for instance, you know, like I said, judge not. Now, people say, well, it, but it doesn't mean this. Like, I can't look at you and say, you know, you really need to watch what you say. You know, that profanity is bad, and I'm over here cussing. Okay, then, nah, you, there's an issue there. Or I'm standing up saying, you know what, you ought to love, you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. But when you see me, I'm fussing out my wife every chance I get. Okay? You can judge those actions. Okay? But when I come to church and I get up to preach and I'm proclaiming the truth, and I'm just using myself as an example here, say, well, I know what he's trying. I, he's got an angle here. That's the part where Jesus said, like, don't judge that. I judge that. I judge the heart in that. Okay? It's kind of like you go to church and you look over at somebody, oh, I know why they're at church. You know, what I mean, that's judging the motive. We judge the works. We don't judge that part of it, okay?
All right, so that was fun. Keep going. Look down at verse number 19. Verse number 19 is about where we left off last week. Great verse here. It says, for the law made nothing perfect. And I repeat that. The law or obeying rituals makes nothing perfect. I can say like this. You being religious about being religious accomplishes nothing. It doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't make you perfect. And, and we'll be back to that. But what does it go on to say is this in verse 19. But the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, here's what Paul is saying. You obeying all the laws of God and of man does not make you complete. But it says here in the verse, bringing in of a better hope. Who is that hope? Christ. Christ coming. Why? To make us draw nigh unto God. Think about it like this. You think of the Trinity. What? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say? No man cometh unto the Father but by me we have to understand how jesus is greater i outside of christ cannot come near god in any way i am separated i am dead in trespasses and sin that's it i i'm dead he talks about in ephesians uh you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin ephesians 2 1 i believe in that because we were dead we didn't have we didn't have any access to god no way to get to god Okay, it's like saying, without a rocket ship, you just go outside and get in your car, but I need you to go to the moon. You can get around Earth all you want to, but you're not going to get to the moon. You have no capability. You can see the moon, but you ain't going to get there. See, Jesus is that channel that gives us access to God, gives us access to the Creator in that. And so that's what he's saying. The better hope is this, is that doing things that a Christian's supposed to do doesn't make us perfect. Doing what a Christian's supposed to do is it helps us with our behavior but as far as drawing nigh to God, that is something because of the hope that we have in Christ in those things. And so we see that. Uh, let, me, let me explain it to you like this. This is why it's so important for us to know Scripture, memorize Scripture, know, learn about God, learn about Christ. This is why we're doing this topic even tonight. Um, let's just say, for instance, let me pick somebody. Well, I don't know if everybody knows this person. But I'm from Tennessee, so... For me, a big person in the realm of sports is Peyton Manning. A lot of people have at least heard the name of Peyton Manning. Okay, now what if I told you tonight, I could tell you, hey, Peyton's wife's name is Lisa. They have two children, uh, Brian and, and Sue, and, and Peyton loves his steak medium well. In fact, when Peyton eats steak, he likes A1 sauce. He likes a baked potato with cheese on it with bacon bits, and Peyton loves to drink Dr. Pepper. And you would probably look at me and say, man, you know a whole lot about Peyton Manning. Man, you know a whole lot about that. I mean, I could say, man, and by the way, I didn't Google that stuff. I have no idea if his wife's named Lisa or kids or what. I don't have any idea, okay? Some of you are like, we have a great studying this week, Phil. No, that's not that. I, but I could rattle off stats about Peyton Manning, and you say, man, Phil really knows Peyton Manning. Here's my fear, okay, for our church, for individuals, for unbelievers. My fear is, is that you'll know that you would know God like I know Peyton Manning. To know of him, to know things about him, but don't live in that freedom and liberty and life that is knowing Jesus Christ. There are so many people that claim to be a Christian that know God, that can spout off verses, that can say things, that can talk about the promises of God, but they know God like they know their favorite athlete, composer, songwriter, whoever it is in life. That's my fear. My fear is that we can rally all things that we know about God and know about Jesus, 
but don't really know the true freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. And that's why he's saying the law is not complete. That's what he's saying in verse 19. Here's the problem with the law. The law doesn't set free. You going to church every Sunday is not going to set you free. Reading your Bible every day is not going to set you free. It's not. Those are good works. Those are good things to do. The law enables us to understand behavior and right behavior, but it does not give us freedom for the soul. L let me put it to you like this. Someone that struggles with alcohol, an alcoholic, okay? If an alcoholic wakes up tomorrow and goes all day and doesn't take a drink, but is so paralyzed in their soul because they want it and crave it so much, at the end of that day, do you feel like they're at liberty? No, they just survived a day, right? That's what they did. And by the way, I totally get it. There's a lot of days we survive. But God did not intend the Christian life. God didn't intend Jesus leaving heaven. God did not intend saving us from our sins so we can survive this life. Jesus is meant to set us free. And just like the alcoholic can say, well, hey, I, I went all day and I didn't drink, but I'm pretty much shaking the whole time. And I want it so bad. There's no freedom there. Jesus gives the freedom. That's why he breaks the chains. That's why he sets us free. That's why he helps us. Jesus even goes about it saying like this a little bit. He says, uh, you've heard it say don't commit adultery. But I say unto you that if your heart is full of lust, then you're just as broken as the adulterer, is what he says. He goes on to say, uh, you've heard it say do not murder. But I tell you, if you're always in a rage and you're always losing your cool, you're just as guilty as the murderer. Why? Because there's no freedom in your life. There's no freedom there. And I think we all have those things we might struggle with. And we're going to struggle. And by the way, you're going to probably struggle to the day you die. Okay, that's just part of it. But I don't think we have to struggle always as bad as we do. And we keep thinking the medicine to make me not struggle with whatever it is you want to fill in the blank is just going to church, reading your Bible, and praying. No, it's getting a closer relationship with Jesus. We're almost done with 2019. I don't really care, in a sense, how many more verses you know, how many more services you've been to. What you got to care about in your heart and soul, how much closer I am to God now than I was a year ago. That's what's going to last. You know, I, I thought about, like, and this was convicting to me, in the idea of thinking of this. God has given me another year with Rachel. I ought to be closer to her now than I was January of this year. Closer to her. Now, I know more about her. <laughs> she knows more about me. And there are survival days. We all understand it. We get it. And we got it. But wouldn't it be a shame to, to be in a relationship with somebody 10, 20, 30 years and know about them and know their experiences and know their but not actually be closer to them than what you were? And we got to have that same idea with God is the idea is not that I can spit out facts. Now, when they're kids, we're teaching them everything they can. Memorize these verses, put this in your bank, but we're also teaching them to love God because if you just teach a kid how to act instead of how to love God, they're going to leave your house, they're going to leave my house, and they're going to go the way of the world more than likely. We got to teach them how to love God and be close to God on their own because something's going to rival that 
And that's how you see that Jesus is greater. And, and here's the idea. When I'm so driven by a Christian who does this and does this and does this, I am conforming and I'm not being transformed. Jesus does not call us to be conformed, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You be really a perfect, good, and acceptable will of God. That we're transformed in the image of his son. Not just to conform to what a good Christian does at Emmanuel or wherever you go to church at. Don't just be conformed to that. But the idea is being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, not just conformed to a pattern of religion that never gets close to God. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying here a little bit? Is the idea, because we can go through that a lot. All right, down in verses 22, down to verses 24, it says this, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many prophets because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continued ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. All right, let me kind of just tell you what verses are saying here. This is another great reason why uh, Jesus is better than the law. It's another way it kind of shows that the law is lacking. Um, God is basically saying this, if I can paraphrase it a little bit better. I don't know if you noticed that in verse 22. I got these priests that are going to help you all your life. You're going to have problems. Remember we said they came to him, these counselors. He's like, but what happens to the priests? They get old and they die, right? So I got to get new priests. So there's tons of priests over the years that are coming. And he's saying, but I'm sending you someone that will never die. They're sending you somebody that, that will never die, that will never go away. And, and he's saying the idea of, of understanding that. Uh, I, I look at it like this. I love being here. I love, this is probably in my mind, some of the best years of my life, just to be honest with you. But I'm also fully aware, I don't know when God's going to, when Christ is going to return, but I'm also fully aware that my time here has an expiration date. There'll be a day I'm no longer the instrument here. And you know what? When I'm gone, God's not going to go, man, I really love Phil. Phil was great. I liked him. What are we going to do now without Phil? <laughs> God ain't worried about that. God's already got the next person set. I hope he doesn't because I hope he raptures us and we're gone. You know, I hope all that. I get that. But we have to live under That's what he's saying. He's saying, I had all these priests for you guys, but here's what happened. The priests die because the priests live their life and they go on. And he said, so you can't get attached to the priests that are going to die. You need to get more attached to Christ. And by the way, that's why a lot of times in churches, when there's kind of a change in leadership and stuff, people go crazy because they follow a person instead of following Christ. And, and that's kind of the mentality there. Like I said, I plan on us being together a long time, okay? So you got you to gotta look at me unless you get tired of looking at me, okay? But that's kind of the idea. But the understanding is this, and you've heard me say this, and you're going to hear me say it more and more as I go on in my lifetime in ministry here. You need accountability in your life. You need people. I know that makes some people go, I just really don't like being close to people. <laughs> I just don't like people really knowing me. But here's something to understand. Everyone needs a support system. You say, I'm good. I don't care. Welcome to misery. It's going to be hard getting out of it sometimes. Because here, look at Christ. And if you really study the life of Christ, he ran with a crowd of about 120 that followed in most places he went. Then on top of that, he had 72 of that 120 that he was sent out a lot. In fact, you read a lot about, about that in Mark. 
he would send them out. 72 disciples he sent them out. Then inside of that 72, there were the 12. And the 12, we know he was very close, had a very close relationship with them. That's the ones we really pay attention to. But do you know even inside of the 12, Jesus had three that had such an intimate closeness with that he didn't have with the other nine. They didn't have with the other 117. You know who they are? Peter, James, and John. Those three. He had a closeness with them. I don't know if you remember the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus uh, allows him, them to see him transformed in his glory. Remember they saw, uh, I believe it was Moses and Elijah. And you remember who he showed that to? Not the 120. Not the 72. Not the 12. Three. Peter, James, and John. We won't take time to go there. But you can look in Mark, and I believe again in Luke, actually maybe Matthew, forgive me, actually it is Matthew, is that when Jesus is betrayed, when they leave the table and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll probably go over this, might not get to it in the Christmas season, but Jesus actually tells his disciples to sit here and tarry, but he says, but then he took Peter, James, and John, and he became so sorrowful, so grieving. Jesus knew what was about to happen to him on his humanity, and he told the three, he says, I need you to pray. I'm at the point of death. He didn't share that with all 12. And the thing is, if Jesus recognized a support system in life, I think we need to recognize the same thing. Now, what's the problem with having people in your life? They're people, right? And they're nosy. And, they're <laughs> some. and the other thing is this, and I had this question brought to me the other day. Who do you know to pick as your people? Well, I would tell you this, the more that you're open to, the ones that they get to see the real deal is going to be more in the three, not in the 120. That's kind of Facebook's problem. We, we letting the 120 know when we really should be confiding in the three on some issues, okay, on that. And I'm blasting everything with Facebook, okay. I, I use it as a platform for stuff too. But I'm talking about there's, there's people that this, like I'll tell you this, and I kind of expressed this in Sunday school. In my life, I have two or three guys, they're not here, that at any moment they can call me. Any moment they can call me. I ask them not to call me in the early morning hours or I will repay the favor, okay? I have this one particular friend, he call me anytime, and I will tell you, when I hear his voice, it kind of gives me a little bit of peace. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? Some people have that closeness with parents, some people have that. But when, when he calls me, I get this sense of peace. And when I'm jacked up, I don't like it when he calls me. It's almost like the Holy Spirit's like Paul Phil. Okay? How's it going? I ain't good right now, man. Not good. And you know what? He's not kind to me when I don't need someone to be kind to me. Okay? He's telling me the truth about me. Okay? And I like that because I need that. But let me, let me ask you like this. Has your world ever just started unraveling? I'm not talking about a bad day. Your, your world is just falling apart, and you can't get a hold of anyone. I mean, everyone you call that's dear to you, it's going to voicemail. And you can't get them. And you just feel like, man, this is when the, the foundations are crumbling, and I don't know what to do. I don't know who to get a hold of. It's just like I, I, I can't get anybody. Here's what's even greater than accountability. And this is what Jesus is saying in these verses 22 through 24. What Jesus is saying this, 
He's saying this is why Jesus is greater because Jesus is saying I am always, always, always available. When your world falls apart at 2 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is saying I'm available. It's a Thursday night, Jesus is saying I'm available. It's Christmas Day, everybody else has got their stuff, Jesus, I'm available. Wherever you're at in your life, Jesus is saying, I'm available. I don't take a nap. I don't eat dinner. I don't have any needs in that way. I am always available to whom? Those who draw nigh to me. And you want to know a lot of times why I don't go to Christ? is because I haven't drawn nigh to him. It's really hard to go to somebody that you're estranged to. It's really hard to go confide in someone that there's something there that eh, ain't been taken care of. That's why we... Like I talk about the Puritans, tally up every day, every night, keep short accounts with God. You do that because of that closeness, and Jesus is saying, I am right here, right now, I'm available, I don't use email. And that's the thing, that's why Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater in your life more than you fulfilling how many times a year you're going to go to church and how many books of the Bible you're going to read this year and how much you're trying to be a better dad or a better employee. Jesus is greater because is when your life hits the fan and you can't reach your network, that's when I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Is Man, it's awesome. He's saying, I'm not going to die. I'm not like the other priest. I don't have an expiration date. And I love that, and that's a great thing about it is what he's saying there. And let me finish up with verses 25 through here, and this is really what I wanted to get to. And he says this, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make its intercession for them. I love this passage of scripture. If you're like me, I normally say he ever liveth to make its intercession for us. Anybody else do that? I do that a lot. He ever liveth to make an intercession for us. And by the way, this is the great connection scripture to Hebrews chapter 4 verses uh, 14 through 16. It says, let us therefore what come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help and grace in our time of need. And this, what it's saying here is this, and I want you to really, really think about this. Uh, I'll, if I can pull this off right here. Um, the verse in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, what scripture is saying. And when you look at this passage of scripture, you remember that um, Peter is like, man, I'm not gonna deny you. All these other dudes are gonna deny you. I'm not gonna do it. And what does, what does Jesus say, if I got it right? Helps when you're in the right chapter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You want to know why I love probably my favorite verse, and the whole reason we came back to it tonight, Hebrews 7, 25. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan has actually asked permission to destroy you. Satan actually has asked if he could just sift you as wheat. And you know what, Peter? I'm not going to let him destroy you, but I'm going to allow him to sift you. And there's going to be times in Peter, you see here, that Satan wants it. But I love the next part of verse 32. But what does Jesus say? But I have prayed for you. Now, if you come up to me and you're like, hey, Phil, will you do this? Or I come up to you and say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I hope it gives you a little bit of joy. Like, great, Phil's praying for me. What are you praying for now? You know, I say, I'm praying for you. All right, this is why Jesus is greater than anything. If you know the Lord as your Savior, every trial that you face, one, God has allowed it 
and your Savior on your account before the Father is praying for you. Remember what he said to Peter? I prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And when that art converted or when you were brought back, that you'll strengthen the brethren. Now, to me, if you ask, man, somebody's praying for me, that's great. But can you actually imagine, just stop for a second. This is what we don't appreciate about our Christian life. When I'm going through something as a believer, I have a Savior sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, Father, be with Phil. Don't let this make him lose his faith. And by the way, did Peter fail? He sure did. Was Peter converted back? Did he come back? Yeah, he came back. Was he used greatly of God? Yes. You know why? Because Jesus bats a thousand every time he prays for somebody. Whatever Jesus prays for, it happens. And that's what the deal is. When Jesus says, Peter, I prayed for you, he's saying, I know the devil's going to take you through the ringer, but I guarantee you, you're going to be converted. And when you're converted back, man, strengthen the brethren. And to me, it's just humbling to think of. There's an almighty God that allows things to come in my life, but I have a personal Savior that says, but I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you on behalf. You know, sometimes in your life, you ever sometimes have to do something for somebody to kind of be like a character reference or something like that for somebody. Why do you do that? Because the person needs someone to intercede on their behalf because they can't do it on their own. I cannot face this life on my own. I'm just telling you right now. I don't care how great you think I might be. I can't. I can't raise kids. I can't be a pastor. I can't be a friend. I can't be anything on my own successfully. I can do stuff for a small period of time. Everybody can. But when I'm close to him, as it says back here in this passage, what does it say? He is able to say them to the uttermost that come unto God, that come to him. And that seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for us by coming, getting close to God, that God's interceding on behalf. I, I would do it like this. I would dare say if somebody accused me of something here that everybody knew was wrong, I would hope that some of you would say, no, I, I, I go to bat for Phil. That's not true. Somebody's just slinging stuff at him. I'll go to bat for you. And I would greatly be very appreciative for that. But imagine it's almost like Job. There's Job, and remember what's being questioned, his motives. Remember we talked about that earlier, don't question the motives. And what is, G, what, is, what is Satan saying to God? Oh, yeah, he don't really love you. It's what you do for him. He doesn't really love you. But see, imagine that. That's you, there's Satan, and then there's Jesus saying, but he's forgiven. Yeah, Father, I know that he did that. Yeah, I know that he struggles with that. But he's your child. I love him. I have saved him to the uttermost. He is redeemed. And that's why Jesus is greater. He's greater because he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's why when your system, support system, fails you in this life, that's why it's great to be close to God because when we're close to God, he already lives to make intercession for us to help, to be a blessing. You know, I, I was tempted not to say anything about this, but over Thanksgiving, um, I had an opportunity to be with some family, uh, extended family. I mentioned this to some people. 
but um, I got a cousin that is about to be sentenced this week. Going to go to jail for a while. And um, the comment to me was, can you say a good word to help this thing not fall on me? You're a preacher. I'm like, well, that and 50 cents don't buy you a cup of coffee. But you know what? I said, you've already been convicted. It's, it's too late. Lost kids, lost everything. I mean, my age. I mean, it rips my heart out. But you know what I did say? I can't do anything. But I know somebody that can. I know somebody that can intercede. I know somebody that may not even change your situation. Past sin does mean present suffering. We have to accept that. But I said, but you can know someone that can be a Melchizedek, that can bring you the life, that can bring you peace, that can bring you joy in the midst of what you're facing. And I hope she does that. And I don't know, maybe I didn't do a great job with this text tonight. I probably lost some of you at a Melchizedek what, you know, <laughs> as far as what that was tonight. But I just want you to understand in this life, Jesus is greater for so many reasons. And we're going to just run through this Christmas and we're going to say, yeah, he was born. And yeah, he's great. And we're just going to. There's so many benefits. Y'all y'all hear me pray it all the time. Bless the Lord, all my soul and all within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Hebrews chapter 7 gives some pretty awesome benefits of what it is to be a Christian. Because I have a Savior that not only died for me and did everything that needed to be done, but he goes over and beyond and says, but I still live in heaven to intercede on your behalf so that you can stand redeemed because Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the time we could be together. And, and Lord, I just thank you so much for your love. And Lord, I ask that you would be with that one tonight that I'm thinking about. You'd help her. Do what only you can. And Lord, I do thank you for interceding many, many, many times on my behalf. Lord, every time I've not been worthy of you interceding. Lord, I'm still not worthy for you to intercede. But I love how you say in your word that you live for the joy of interceding for us, Lord. This idea that you live for these moments. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.